Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Story time. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is a true story. It happened to me just over a decade and a half ago. I don't know if this is the wrong sub for this sort of thing. If so, please let me know and I'll gladly move it. The title is borrowed from one of the stories my uncle used to tell me when I stayed with him and my cousin when I was young. The title has nothing really to do with the story per se, other than it happened to be the one he was telling when this story happened. I have went back and forth a couple of times on whether or not to post this. Partially because I know most won't believe it, and partially because I don't really want to relive it in my head. Throw away because no amount of karma is worth getting labeled a whack job should someone I know in real life find this or something. My uncle, we will call him. Bob, and his daughter, my cousin, we will call her Sue, used to live a good distance out in the woods. I'm not going to say what state, but suffice it to say it's a very rural area of a southeastern US state. The closest main road was a couple of miles away, and it was one gravel road onto another to get to their house. The only house within walking distance, a long walk at that, about an one-eighth of a mile, was a second uncle of mine, John, and the two of them had lived in that house in the middle of those woods all of their lives up until Bob decided to buy a mobile home and set it up a little farther still into the woods. Yeah, it probably sounds nutso to want to live out in the middle of no frickin' where, the town's TV cable service didn't even offer service to his house, and you could barely get a cell signal there half the time, but my uncle loved it. He was an outdoorsy type, and honestly a bit of a gun nut. He fancied himself a cowboy I guess, always wearing a cowboy hat and watching old gunslinger TV shows on VHS, like I said, no cable. My cousin Sue never knew anything different, so she liked living out in the woods just fine too. Up until they moved into the trailer. But more on that later. So, being a young boy, I thought my uncle Bob was just the coolest guy in the world. I always enjoyed shooting and plinking as a kid. My parents bought me a 22 caliber, taught me how to use it and how to safely handle firearms really young. So of course I loved visiting Uncle Bob out in the woods and going hunting with him and checking out his cool guns. That is, until both of my parents got switched to second shift at their jobs, and I had to start going to Bob's house after school every day. At first it wasn't so bad, the lack of cable really bummed me out, but we had VHSs. But what really started to get to me was the walk back to my parents' car at 11.30 when they got off and came to pick me up. The gravel road that led from my Uncle John's house to Bob's was barely passable as a road, and lit by a single street light. My parents, convinced that a 12-year-old boy had nothing to worry about walking down a gravel road at midnight in the middle of nowhere, I mean, who was going to bother me, right? Would usually park at John's house and call down for Bob to send me walking up the road. It honestly wasn't that big of a deal. Bob would stand at his door and watch me walk up the road to make sure I was alright, 
and I'd no sooner be out of his sight than the high beams of my parents' car would be greeting me back to safety. But it sure felt like I was walking through hell. Other than the TV situation and the long dark walk, Bob, Sue, and I would sit around and talk about hunting or watch videotaped hunting shows. Bob loved hunting. Like, hunted every single day. Both of my uncles had been hunting in those woods since they were little, and knew damn near everything about the area. Bob had some pretty spooky stories he would tell from his hunting experiences. Mostly just weird sounds in the woods, occasionally seeing some weird things once or twice. It always tripped me out when he would tell Sue and me those stories about the woods around the trailer we were sitting in at that very moment. Of course John would never back Bob up on any of those stories. If you asked him about any of them, or if he had ever seen anything, he'd just say something kinda dodgy about how you can't explain everything, and just because he didn't know what something was didn't mean it was anything weird. I don't remember a single time John confirmed anything Bob told me, at least not with any kind of conviction. But that is probably partially because Bob was a natural-born storyteller. He could make scary stories up off the top of his head that would give Stephen King nightmares. That was something else we did to pass the time, sit around and listen to these horror stories that my uncle would come up with. Now don't get me wrong, he never mixed up his real life this happened to me airy type stories with his obviously made up supernatural type stories, but knowing how John kinda shrugged Bob's true stories off and knowing how good of a storyteller Bob was, I always took his tales with a shaker of salt. So anyway, like I said, I really liked hanging out with Uncle Bob and Cousin Sue, and going hunting with Bob, and everything was pretty normal at their trailer for a good while after they moved in. They even got an indoor dog that I loved to death and loved to play with named Muffin. I had maybe been staying with them after school for probably a month when it all went to shit. When it first started, I really kinda wondered if they were playing a joke on me, or setting up some tall tell for a story. It never seemed to happen when I was there. Only on the weekends, or after midnight when I had gone home. Someone was trying to screw with Sue's head. Bob would be gone during the day hunting or gone to town, and someone would F with their trailer. Knocking on doors, knocking on walls, throwing sticks, rocks at it. Now Sue was no Southern Belle, she knew her way around a 12-gauge pump-action shotgun better than most people but one can only sit in a trailer the middle of the woods alone and listen to windows in other rooms getting knocked on before you start to wonder who the hell is coming all the way out in rural bum Egypt to mess with you. Not to mention the stuff happening at 2 to 3 o'clock in the morning. Sue and Bob had bedrooms at opposite ends of the trailer, and at either end, looking outside their window, was a clearing maybe 40 to 50 feet wide, and then the tree line. At night in the early hours of the morning, Sue could hear someone walking rather heavily around the wood line, and occasionally screaming a high-pitched scream. My dad and Uncle John suggested it was a panther, and not to worry about it, but Sue took to sleeping with the 12-gauge next to her bed anyway. Like I said, I honestly didn't believe it at first. I could barely muster the courage to walk from one end of the gravel road to the other at night with a fully grown man with a gun watching over me, who the F would have the balls to be wandering around the woods at 3am screwing with an obviously armed woman. 
and the fact that it only happened when I wasn't there seemed a little too convenient. I would have thought maybe they were setting me up for some kind of grand story, or even that Sue, she was a bit of a drama queen, was just making it up for attention, except that. They were kinda keeping it hush-hush, at least from me. The little bits of info I got were mostly hearing other room conversations between Sue and Bob, or Bob and John. I had to piece together what was going on, and question Sue about it later. At first she just kinda said it was nothing for me to worry about and everything was fine. That is, until one day after school. I got to their house and Bob and Sue were waiting for me at John's house to walk me down to theirs. This was unusual, it was a perfectly bright sunny day, no murderers, rapists, or home intruders in sight. But there was something really strange in the air that day, some weird glances between Bob and Sue. Something had them on edge. If the awkward looks and edgy acting hadn't tipped me off, the firepower should have. Bob had a six-shooter strapped to his leg, and a 30-30 lever-action rifle in his hand, and Sue had the shotgun at her side. It wasn't until Bob was making us dinner in the kitchen later that I found out why. Someone had tried to break in on Sue that day. Bob had gotten up that morning and went squirrel hunting, and someone had tried to rip the door off of their trailer. Bob hadn't went out for a few days given the strange occurrences of the past few days, but everything had seemingly died down. So, this day he had decided he'd go out for just a little while, stick close to the trailer, and see how things went. No more than 45 minutes after he had left, Sue had been sitting on the couch and heard the handle of the door, which she had triple locked, start to rustle back and forth. Gently at first, and then harder, and finally a full-fledged attempt to pull the door off the hinges. Sue had somehow composed herself long enough to call Bob's cell phone and scream for help before grabbing the shotgun and falling into a crying mess on the floor waiting on God knows what to come through the door after her. IT had been watching and waiting on Bob to leave. It gave up a few minutes before Bob got back, either deterred by the door lock, Sue's dog Muffin attacking the inside of the door trying to get out to it or at the sound of a shotgun's pump action racking around into the chamber. I hadn't noticed walking in, I seemed to remember one of them opening the door for me, but later that day I checked and the doorknob was. Decimated. I'm not sure how it was hanging on, much less working. And I could tell this wasn't usual Sue drama when she told me. She was nearly in tears. Muffin would not leave her side that entire night, no matter how much I tried to play with her. She had the look in her eye of someone who had been through an emotional hell that day. After dinner, just after sundown, we tried to regain some sense of normalcy. We played a few games of sorry, a few games of cards, and were sitting down about to listen to Bob continue one of his stories, The Great Smoky Mountain Massacre, from which this story borrows its title. Sue and I sat on the couch with Muffin laying in between us, Bob sat in a chair perpendicular to us. I was honestly not in the mood to hear a scary story from Bob the master of terror himself after hearing what had went down that day, but Sue wanted to, so I was okay with it. I suppose maybe looking back, she wanted to put her fear back into something that couldn't really hurt her. Who knows what was outside the door, but at least in there right then, no story was breaking down her door to get at her. Five minutes in, Bob had us enthralled as usual 
and I was just leaning my head back to take a sip of soda when bam, something hit the metal trailer wall directly behind my head so hard I fell out of my seat. Literally, I jumped into the floor, hit the deck, and took cover, Sue in the floor beside me, Muffin barking at the top of her lungs, Bob grabbing a rifle and a spotlight, slamming the back door open and flying out of it trying to kick Muffin back to keep her inside. I could hear very heavy footsteps hitting the ground to the tree line just behind their house. Five minutes passed, then ten, then an eternity. I remember it like it were yesterday. Finally, what seemed like hours later, but was probably fifteen minutes at most, I heard Bob yell to Sue that he was coming back in, which was a good thing as Sue by now had a firearm in hand. He walked back in with disbelief in his eyes. He hadn't made it around the house in time to see what had hit the wall, but the area where the bang was heard, the area just behind my head, was about 10 feet off the ground. There was a dent in the metal the size of an abnormally large man's fist, no more than a foot behind where my head had just been only minutes ago, and my uncle Bob, who until that point in my life had been the great white hunter to me, had no explanation. Bob and Sue walked me to my parents' car that night. Of course my parents, being rational human beings, and knowing Bob's storytelling and Sue's flair for the dramatic didn't believe it was anything other than perhaps a peeping Tom or some backwards neighbor, who had no fear of death via acute lead poisoning, and nothing to do but walk several miles in the middle of the night to bang on a trailer and run, trying to scare us. It didn't matter if they believed me though. Just as quickly as the terrorizing had started, it stopped. A month or so passed and there were no more incidents to speak of, or at least nothing that couldn't be blamed on overactive imaginations or jumpy nerves. No more window taps, no more muffin barking fits, no more replaced doorknobs. Still, the occurrence made Bob decide that maybe they should cut back a few trees and extend the woodline away from their house a bit, if for nothing else than to extend the sight lines just in case. So they hired a couple of guys to come in during the days with chainsaws and cut some of the trees around the edges of the clearing down. They were friends of the family, so they worked slow, but it gave Bob some time to get some hunting in, trusting that no sane, or even insane, individual would try breaking in on Sue midday while guys with chainsaws running full blast were walking around. And he was right, no weird activity at all to speak of. Until... One Sunday night, a few weekends later. I wasn't there for this part, but it is what I am able to recall piecing together the next day from my 12-year-old brain, now over a decade and a half later. Muffin, being an indoor dog, and needing to go outside as indoor dogs often do, was sitting next to the front door with her leash sometime just after dark. Bob, not having me to send out to walk her, and still a bit anxious from the strange happenings the month before, grabbed his rifle and flashlight, put Muffin's leash on her, and plunged out into the warm, dark night. Sue was inside washing dishes from dinner and looking out into the yard, newly cleared area, and was just able to faintly see Bob and Muffin from the little bit of glow the gravel road streetlight provided. Almost no sooner than her paws had hit the dirt, Muffin flipped her shit. She was a small dog, maybe 20 pounds, but she was hitting above her weight barking and pulling Bob toward the tree line with everything she had. 
Bob was no small man by any means, but trying to balance a flashlight in one hand with a dog leash tied around it, and a rifle in the other, I guess it is fair to say that Muffin was winning the fight. After getting Muffin to stop yanking his arm out of socket, Bob tried to shine his flashlight at the tree line to see what Muffin was barking at, but the beam wouldn't quite reach. All he could see at the distance was what looked like a very thick tree stump the yard clearing had left. And then, the tree stump stood up. Sue, inside at the kitchen window and being a lot closer than Bob to the end of the house, yard the former tree stump was now standing at, said the figure was tall and very bulky. Tall meaning over 8 foot in height, and bulky as in. As wide around as a large tree stump. The massive figure took a step toward Bob just as the first before the first shot rang out, and then the second and the third, and so on. The hulking shade, possibly startled by the noise of a 30-30 Winchester, or possibly hit with a round or several, turned and retreated back into the woods. At first Bob and the fearless Muffin started toward the woods to give chase and find out just what the hell that tree stump had morphed into. However after a few steps, and realizing he had no idea how many rounds he had left in his rifle, Bob thought better of chasing an obviously physically superior, possibly wounded. Animal? Into the deep dark woods in the pitch black of night, regardless of how much courage Muffin possessed. Instead, after a quick reload, the night was spent at Uncle John's house. The next day John and Bob went to look at the scene of the carnage. Brush and small trees were knocked down for yards leading deeper into the woods back over a creek and towards a bluff. But the trail went cold, and there were no obvious signs of blood. So, just what was terrorizing my uncle and my cousin? I have no idea. I do know I talked to John about it a little over a year later, after my uncle and cousin had moved out of that house and into a more populated, less rural part of town. I asked John what he thought it was, and if he thought the story was just Bob embellishing for the sake of a good tale, or Sue playing everything up for attention. John's usual casual disregard for Bob's stories wasn't there this time. He just said he didn't know and he didn't think he ever would. John actually moved into the trailer after Bob and Sue moved out, never had any problems as far as I know. Not a peep. You may be wondering what finally made my uncle and my cousin move out between the tree stump night and the time I talked to John about everything. What was it that finally made someone who had lived within an one eight mile radius from their childhood home their whole life, and who loved living in the middle of nowhere, finally pack up and move to a less rural area across town? Well, unfortunately for me, that is where I come in. It had been probably six or seven months since my uncle Bob had shot at some towering behemoth of an unidentifiable humanish shaped animal. They had speculated just what that shape in the darkness had been for months. Maybe it was a really, really large human, maybe it was a bear, black bears are pretty common around here, and one standing on its hind legs for a minute would appear like a stump getting huge, especially in the panic of the moment, nobody knew. It didn't really matter though, either Bob had hit it with enough lead to poison a fishing village, or it had decided it wasn't fond of getting shot at. Either way, it hadn't been back to bother my cousin or my uncle. Bob almost never left the first two months, especially without Sue. In the third month, he started cautiously going out, 
but staying close, and as things tend to do, they started to go back to normal. Finally, after over half a year, Bob was going out almost every day hunting again. Summer had come and gone, and I had decided to spend a Saturday hunting with my uncle. Sue seemed perfectly fine staying alone again, I think she was sick of Bob being there all the time, so Bob and I decided to make a go of it and have it some squirrels. My parents had just gotten me my first shotgun, a single shot break action 20 gauge. We walked for maybe a mile and a half, which takes a little while when you are trying to be quit in the woods, and we were just crossing a fence onto a neighboring property, my uncle was friends with the owner, and had permission to cross the property as a shortcut, when my uncle's cell phone rang, which in and of itself was a miracle given the cell phone coverage of the day and how far we were in the woods. He quickly silenced it and handed my gun over the fence to me, I had crossed first, we had to climb over as it was a tall fence. Just as he was about to hand his gun over, the phone began to ring again. Bob pulled the phone out of his jacket and looked at it, answered and was just about to say Sue I can't talk right now when. I could hear it over his speaker. Loud banging on metal bang bang bang, Muffin barking her head off, Sue screaming for help. Grabbing his gun and slamming his phone into his pocket, Bob took off running back in the direction of their house, leaving me on the wrong side of the fence, Bob yelled he'll be back stay here. At this point, I believe I was 12 or 13 years old. The exact details kind of blur with time, but the event I can still close my eyes and relive if I am not careful. Bob running as fast as he can through the woods rifle in hand, his brown jacket getting smaller and smaller into the distance, until I'm alone. I'm alone in the woods, not old enough to drive, barely a teenager, not even in high school yet. I'm alone in the woods, no one around for miles, with a single-shot shotgun and a pocket full of shells as my uncle speeds off to defend my cousin from God only knows what kind of monster my imagination was coming up with. I had never even seen the silhouette that they had been so afraid of, only heard their descriptions and juxtaposed them to the sound of the banging coming from behind my head that night, ten feet off the ground. I was alone in the woods, and Muffin, all twenty pounds of her, was trying every bit as hard to get out to tear the monster's throat out to protect my cousin, but I was here almost defenseless. I was alone in the woods, and I was scared to death. Put your twelve-year-old self there. Put your twelve-year-old self in the woods, alone, with the monsters and the demons, and every creature from under your bed, and stuck imagining what was going on a mile away. Up until that moment, I had never been scared of the woods. But right then, I just wanted to get out. At first I was able to stay pretty calm and collected. I carefully unloaded the single round in my shotgun, after taking a good 5 minute glare around the area to make sure I wouldn't need that single round immediately, slid the gun under the fence, clumb over the fence myself, and then reloaded. I wanted to get out of there so badly. I knew roughly the way back, but honestly I wasn't sure I wanted to go back to my uncle's house given its current situation either. I figured that I followed the trail most of the way to his house, then veered off left to my uncle John's house, it would be at least moderately safe. At least a lot safer than waiting around here for Bob to scare off whatever was trying to break in on Sue again, just for it to come out here and find me wandering around. At least she had a house, a dog, 
and an arsenal of Bob's firearms to protect her, Helle only had one round at a time. So, weighing the risk of getting in trouble for not staying put like Bob told me to versus the risk of getting eaten by Bigfoot, I started down the trail back to John's house. At best I run into Bob coming back for me, at worst I get to John's and call Bob's cell phone and let him know where I am. And at very worst I run headlong into Sasquatch and have to fight for my life with what would be the equivalent of a BB gun to it. At first the walk was. Almost peaceful. Birds chirping, squirrels running about, they always know when you aren't going to shoot them for some reason and that's when they'll run out in front of you. I say walk because it started out kind of a brisk speed walk sort of thing. As fast as I could without crushing through the brush and announcing my presence to whatever was within earshot. But then. Something changed. There were no bird sounds anymore. No little animal noises at all. Just a steady, heavy crunching of foliage underfoot. And it wasn't by me. Something coming toward me that was just out of sight. It couldn't be Bob, it is coming from the direction I'm coming from, but behind me. Walking with me toward Bob's house. Okay, F this, I'm out I remember thinking under my breath as I broke into whatever I could manage for a sprint in the heavier underbrush. A minute into my sprint I started thinking I was silly, there is no way anything is behind me, after all isn't this whole thing just Bob and Sue's imagination anyway? Their imagination, now chasing me through the woods, and. I still hear it following me. Something is still crunching away just as fast as I am, keeping pace with me in these godforsaken woods. By the time I hit the clearing to John's yard, I don't know if whatever it was was still keeping pace with me, or catching up, or gone completely. For all I knew, and in my imagination, the second I hit the clearing its giant arm was going to grab me and snatch me back into the bleakness of the forest forever. Propelled by that thought and gaining traction in the clearing, I didn't stop running until I was pounding on John's door with everything I had. When he finally got me inside and calmed me down, he explained that whatever had been breaking in on Sue was gone when he and Bob got there. Sue had called John too, and that Bob had just went back into the woods a few minutes ago to find me, meaning there is no way it could have been him following me. John called Bob and let him know I was safe and sound, and a few long months after that day, as soon as they could afford to get out, Sue and Bob moved away from that trailer in the middle of the woods. As far as I know, after that day they never had any more problems. However, on their last day there, Bob told me he joked to Sue he was going to leave a forwarding address on the door so their visitor would know where to find her. Somehow the humor of that one was lost on her. I was a national park ranger, here are some of the things I encountered. So, hi there. I'm Samantha, Sam, and I was park ranger for six years. I won't specify whereas I don't want to get in trouble. One of the people I worked with told me to read the other park ranger stories on here so I thought I'd give it a shot and shit is it good to see someone being honest. It inspired me to share some of my own stories, people need to know what happens in the woods. I quit my job a couple years ago, I couldn't deal with having to bottle up all the things I've seen. Nobody wants to talk about them but I feel I'm drowning in the memories of it all. So I'm going to share them. 
I don't know if I'll be able to share it all it might be too hard but I'll give it a go. I hope this raises some awareness of the true danger of the woods and make people consider their safety. I don't want people to think I'm copying someone or making these things up I'm just sharing my stories and experiences. Let's get into it. This was my first ever weird experience as a junior ranger. To this day I still don't know what I saw but I know it wasn't friendly. I had just received a call about a screams coming from deeper in the forest off one of the more popular trails. This really wasn't unusual if you've heard a mountain lion you know it sounds like a woman screaming. So just as I was about to set off my chief at the time asked to come along, I found this a little odd as the job seemed a bit too insignificant for his rank but I brushed it off as I was new and thought maybe he wanted to check my progress. We set off making small talk and I was obviously trying to suck up a little. We were joking around he made a quick remark and said something about making sure that I take even these small jobs seriously because you'll never know what you'll find and that was some of the most valuable advice I've gotten from someone on this job because I learned my lesson from not listening to it, but that's different story. We get to the area where the call was and begin north of the trail where the noise had been heard. We hear the screams and it sounds like a mountain lion but something sounds really off about it, but we keep walking towards it. We're about 10 minutes into walking towards the sound when all of a sudden it's like all the sound had been sucked from the woods, it was dead silent. I couldn't even hear my breathing, I thought maybe I'd gone deaf but I look at my chief and he had the same nervous expression on his face as I did but by the way he was reacting it felt as if he had dealt with something similar before which I now know to be true. Just as quick as the silence came, I started to hear this low buzzing but it wasn't just buzzing. I could feel the vibration of it in the whole body so much so that my ears and jaws started to hurt. I can only describe it as if when you are getting your teeth drilled in at the dentist but it felt even worse. Even my vision started to vibrate and as that happened I swear I this black figure about 7 feet tall step out from a few trees in front of me and started with that same scream as it bent down and began to crawl towards us. As anyone would I freak the f out and step back to start running. My chief grabs my arm very hard just as I start to sprint almost knocking me over. He puts his other arm around me and holds my arms very tight as he begins to walk me out of the forest. Just as I'm about to put up a fight and tell him to run he says in a very calm voice don't run, don't talk, don't look back just keep walking and I did exactly what he said, he knew something I didn't and as much as I wanted to run I didn't want to test the theory of death. That 10 minute walk was excruciating because I knew it was crawling behind us by the buzzing in the back of my head and the sound of its light wailing. I wanted to run so bad. Eventually I think it ran off because all the noise in the forest came back and the buzzing stopped. We get back on the trail and I'm shaking, I was in so much shock I couldn't even cry. He lets go of me and begins walking back to main base without acknowledging what happened. I start going crazy and screaming. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Get him asking what the hell that was and he says, and yes I remember word for word what he said. There are things in these woods that have been here longer than us that we can't explain or get rid of. If you don't think you can handle that you should pack your bags now. He kept walking and I walked a bit behind trying to shake that horrible feeling and tried to find a reasonable answer for what just happened. I clearly stayed in the job, when it was good it was really good. I met some amazing people and I love nature but in the end the bad experiences outweighed the good and I had to leave. I wish I had left when he told me to pack my bags in all honesty. I know this experience doesn't sound all that scary but trust me there are worse ones. Living through it was definitely much scarier than reading it in words. Clearly this first encounter wasn't enough to scare me off but the ones to come led to my departure of this job. Some experiences are scarier but some are more explainable. I'm still debating whether to share the rest of my stories maybe I'll see how I feel after posting this. I'd love to hear other people's experiences with the woods. Part 2. A lot of people seem to be interested in the stairs found in the woods. Let me just start by saying that I have seen a set of stairs in the woods once and personally it wasn't all too scary just a bit creepy, I know a couple of my friends back in the force, a force to be reckoned with, have some stories about stairs, ones that they've mentioned in minor detail. But I want to share my experience first and when and if I decide to contact them and get their permission maybe I'll post about it. I do however have a story about a ladder that I wish I could forget as just thinking about it gives me the creeps. My experience with stairs is pretty tame so I'll add another incident after it. We were doing a search for a young girl who had wandered off, we found her, she's fine. The team was stretched out pretty far so I was walking by myself but was in shouting distance of people. As I was walking, I found a set of stairs. These stairs sort of looked like they belonged here but also didn't, they seemed overgrown and like they would have been the steps up to someone's house but then I realized that there is no way someone could have put these here and that I had come across a set of the stairs that my other co-workers had touched upon. I thought I'd feel more terrified if I ever came across a pair but I really didn't. I had this urge to walk up them though like something was pulling my body towards them. Maybe it was excitement of coming across the phenomenon or some dark shit at work I don't know. Someone near me called that they had found something and I was snapped back to reality. I'm really glad someone called out I'm not sure if I would have walked up them otherwise. We found the girl and all was well but on the walk back I told one of my partners that I had seen some stairs. She looked at me concerned and kind of aggressively interrogated me to know if I touched or walked up them, I said no and that was it. So yeah pretty tame, 
nothing too intense wish I had more to say about them but I'm not going to lie or overemphasis anything on here. This next occurrence isn't about stairs but it is about a ladder and I'd say they're pretty similar. This was somewhere into my first year as a national park ranger and around the start of summer poison ivy tends to get pretty crazy, so we have to do weekly checks on the trails and the bush surrounding them. My partner and I get sent off to check some of the less popular trails, we get to this part on a smaller trail where it forks off for a couple minutes and then joins back at the end, being the idiots we were, we split to then meet back up where it connects again, keep in mind we could make each out from the bush that sits in the middle of the path, no biggie right? He takes the left and I take the right of the trail, as I'm walking along the path keeping a cautious eye at the surrounding bush looking for some ivy, I notice something in the corner of my eye. I look to my right to see this large clearing in the middle of the trees. It looked like a man-made circle, it was so perfectly round as if someone had been maintaining it. There wasn't a tree, not a bush, not even a weed. I was so focused on the ground and lack of flora, I almost didn't notice the giant unmissable ladder, I clearly didn't have great observational skills, standing exactly in the middle of the circle. I seriously cannot explain this but the ladder was standing upright leaning against nothing. It was like some unknown force was holding it up, I looked all the way up and saw on top stood a man, in a business suit. I know this sounds almost funny but this guy looked like he had just walked straight out of a corporate building. Upon further inspection I could see that his head was hanging back looking up towards the sky, his mouth appeared to be gaped open but I couldn't get a good look. I called up to him a few times but no response. I walked around the ladder trying to find some strings attached to it in hopes this was some prank or a weird art project but I couldn't. This guy looked like he was on display for some art exhibition. I didn't know what to do and I couldn't see my partner through the bushes so I radioed him to come to my location, but in the meantime I stupidly decided to touch the ladder, I know you're all probably mad that I went to touch the ladder, I am too. Don't touch weird shit you find in the woods but I was still new and naive. I get this weird feeling just as I'm about to touch the ladder but I brush it off as just being spooked and I touch it. The man at the top snaps his neck in this disturbingly contorted way to look towards me and gives out this ungodly gasp, like he was taking his last breath of air. His expression is still gaped but I've never seen something quite like this. It was like his eyelids and lips had been pulled back to make him seem more surprised. I stepped back of course and grabbed my taser from my side. I heard rustling behind me and turned to stick my taser on whatever coming from me but it was just my partner emerging from the bush who put his hands up quickly in hopes to not be tased. I look back to the circle and the ladder is now flat on the floor and the man is gone. My partner asked what was was going on and I explained what happened and begged him to not think I was crazy, of course he didn't think that, he knew just as well as I did that this stuff was basically normal and happened all the time. We knew we wouldn't find this guy but it's still protocol to look anyway, which I didn't enjoy one bit, I was praying we wouldn't find him. Never saw something like this again and neither has anyone I've ever talked to. I mean this guy was balancing on the very top of a ladder that wasn't leaning against anything. Who knows maybe I met Houdini or something. When you see things like this you have to make some sort of joke about it or you won't be able to move past it. I'm really glad people are enjoying what I have to say, 
Again don't know when I'll write more. Don't expect too much from me this is kind of tiring but also pretty cathartic. I'm thinking of also sharing some of the less spooky stories and one that are just humans being mental. I can tell you the exact year and month this happened. It was in 1979 in April that my own battalion received orders to ship out for the USMC Recruit Depot in San Diego, California. I was in weapons company of the 2nd Battalion 9th Marine at Camp Lejeune in Jacksonville, North Carolina. After my basic training in Paris Island, South Carolina, and infantry training at Camp Geiger, I had become a rifleman assigned to the 3rd Platoon of the Lima Company. When we left for San Diego, it took a day and a half by train to get there, most of us having never been outside California's borders before, so this was an adventure. Once arriving in California at MCRD, I had my first taste of real fighting from some Marine Corps drill instructors. Once I made it through the MCRD hell, I shipped out to Camp Pendleton for further training before being assigned a unit. That is when I met Mr. Bill. What is strange about this story is my past experience with large flying creatures had me slightly prepared for what was coming next. I have never ever read or seen any type of large flying reptilian creature in any science fiction movie or story, but I have read about and seen a pterodactyl one time before. This was during my high school years when I went on a field trip with a bunch of classmates to the local museum, and in the huge atrium, there was a very old mounted wingless pterodactyl on display. I think it had been there for at least 20 years, maybe more before I saw it. The thing was sitting upright on its tail, wings spread out to the sides of its body, like some type of prehistoric leathery aircraft. It looked like something off of a low-budget science fiction film set or prop. It really gave me the heebie-jeebies because here was this monster that lived and died during prehistoric times. It was scary just looking at it. So, of all that, it made my first experience with Mr. Bill's little baby pterodactyl less disturbing to me than it might have been to somebody else who had never seen something like that before. All Marines in my battalion had been seeing these things too. I know because they resembled somewhat of the pterodactyl that I saw with Mr. Bill. Sometimes you'd see them flying around during dusk, off in the far distance, other times they'd be higher up towards the mountains, but they were unmistakable to see. But more on that in a minute. Back to my story about the Marine Corps Recruit Depot. It was around the first week of May when myself and a bunch of fellow Marines were on the parade ground, more or less waiting for something or other. We were all lined up at attention, not moving much at all except for some shifting, and just then I happened to glance in the direction of a very distant mountain about a mile or two away. And there, in the air high above, something caught my attention. I figured it was a bird, but it was so large. But when it made a big lazy U-turn and came back in our direction, I could not believe what my eyes had seen. The thing was huge, a large winged reptile, but you could see that it looked nothing like a bird due to its size alone. The wingspan was three times the normal size of a condor. I looked around to see if anybody else saw what I was seeing, but everybody's eyes were straight down in the position of attention so they could not have been looking anywhere else except for a head towards the drill instructor up on his little platform. 
It was then that I figured out the only reason why the DI had not said anything about the giant flying thing in the sky was that he probably saw it too. I just happened to look up in its direction, and needed to come back around, headed into our general direction again, coming from behind a very tall barracks building. It came closer until it passed overhead, right above where we were all standing at attention on the parade grounds. I could see it all very clearly. It was a huge creature with bat-like wings and a long skinny tail. The whole encounter could not have lasted for more than a few seconds, but it flew off towards the mountains again. I'll never forget the direction and the general outline of what I had seen and how it looked nothing like any type of bird at all that I've ever seen in my life. This was the very first time all of us saw one, even the locals and natives there recognized them and even talk about them. If there's ever a place that Jurassic Park exists, it's there in Papua New Guinea. Chief Petty Officer Marcus Kane had seen it all during his years as a Navy SEAL. He had faced enemy combatants in the most treacherous of terrains, overcome the odds in countless missions, and earned a reputation as a fearless and unflinching leader. Yet, Nothing could have prepared him for what he and his team were about to encounter deep within the remote coastal regions of Iraq. Tasked with a classified mission to gather intelligence on an extremist group that had been causing havoc in the region, Kane's team prepared to deploy under the cover of darkness. The moon hung low in the sky, casting an eerie glow over the jungle as they began their infiltration. The team moved with the precision of a well-oiled machine, each member relying on their training and instincts to navigate the hostile terrain. As the mission unfolded, however, strange occurrences began to unsettle the team. Bizarre symbols etched into the trees seemed to appear out of nowhere, sending a shiver down the spines of the seals. Whispers, faint but unmistakable, echoed through the night air, filling their ears with an unsettling presence that defied explanation. Equipment that had always been reliable suddenly malfunctioned without reason, adding to the growing sense of unease. Kane's experience and leadership were put to the test as tensions rose within the team. He knew that maintaining cohesion was vital, but the psychological toll of the inexplicable events was taking its toll on even the most seasoned warriors. Late one night, as the team huddled around a dimly lit fire, Kane could see the fear in their eyes. He knew he had to find a way to restore their confidence and address the growing uncertainty that was eroding their trust in their own senses. Then came the encounter that would change everything. It was during a routine patrol that one of the SEALs managed to capture shaky footage of a creature unlike anything they had ever seen. The footage showed a face covered in brown fur, with a mouth that was barely discernible from the distance of the camera. The creature's head bore the unmistakable dome shape and sloping forehead associated with gorillas. It was as if a Bigfoot creature had come to life before their eyes. Fear turned into a collective determination. The seals shifted from being the hunted to becoming the hunters. They knew they couldn't allow this unknown predator to continue plaguing their mission and sowing terror among their ranks. Armed with their training, experience, and a newfound sense of purpose, the team embarked on a relentless pursuit of the creature. The pursuit led them deeper into the heart of the jungle, where the line between reality and the supernatural seemed to blur. 
Cain found himself grappling with skepticism and a sense of awe as the evidence of the creature's existence mounted. The symbols, the whispers, and the encounters all pointed to a reality that challenged his understanding of the world. With each step, the tension grew. The juxtaposition of elite warriors facing an enigmatic and potentially supernatural foe created a gripping sense of urgency. As the team closed in on the creature's lair, the final confrontation became inevitable. In a climactic battle that tested their limits, the seals faced off against the creature. Bullets and adrenaline flowed in equal measure as they fought to overcome an adversary that defied rational explanation. King's leadership, tempered by years of experience and his newfound openness to the unknown, guided the team through the perilous encounter. When the battle was over, the creature lay defeated, its existence now an unsettling memory. As the team regrouped and made their way back to safety, they carried with them a story that defied easy explanation. They had faced the inexplicable, navigated the horrors of the unknown, and emerged victorious not only as warriors but as witnesses to a truth that expanded their understanding of the world. I want to tell you about the time I saw an unexplained figure and it was really scary. It was the summer of 2018. We live in Brooklyn, New York. It was around 7 p.m., so there was plenty of light. My brother and I were walking home from this Mexican restaurant that we used to go to and we were cutting through an alleyway on our way home. We saw this human-like figure to our right. It was in a tree and we were both like, WTF. It was really weird. So we just kept talking and it jumped out of the tree and landed right at the base of the tree. Then it straightened up. It was about six feet tall. It was pure black. It looked more like a really tall thin human but it had a canine-like face. It was terrifying. And it had these curled horns, like a goat. It also had really long fingers. It was kind of hunched over but I could just like feel it look into my soul. I honestly don't know what it was. I have for the longest time thought that it could have been a demon, but it gets scarier from there. So my brother and I both see it and we lock our eyes on the ground, we don't want to make eye contact with it. So we start walking away a little bit faster and we are talking about whatever we could talk about to not even acknowledge it. So we turned the corner and right in front of us was this building that had a tin roof and we could hear it land on the top of the roof. We could hear it turning the corner of the roof with us. We looked at each other and we both just started running all the way home. I don't put a lot of merit into religious things personally but I always thought that that could have been a demon. I took my kids on a camping trip once, not alone in the woods, at a campground, but our site was surrounded by woods. After they fell asleep one night, I tossed and turned for a while and then decided to walk my dog to the end of the lane and sit on the bench in the children's playground. I was just enjoying the late summer air and my normally, very calm lab was starting this very low growl. She kept it up despite my shushing her and kept staring into the playground. There was an old metal swing set with four swings, and all of a sudden, just one of the swings started swinging by itself. Initially I thought wind might be stirring it, and I sort of froze just watching it pick up speed while my dog erupted into barking, 
I bolted back to the tent and did my best not to wake my kids but I just could not calm down. I've never told them what happened. Sometimes I go on late night walks with my partner, like 2 or 3 am. It's a route that we often take during the day as well, and by this particular point we'd done the walk a few times. It's a paved road through a park, so it's not particularly hazardous. Sometimes we've heard coyotes in the distance, but that was never a big deal. I like to listen to the frogs and other night noises. Reminds me of where I grew up. But this one night we decided to go out when it was way, way too dark. Overcast, very little moon. A dark night. Part of the road is covered by trees, so it was even darker. We're walking slowly just for safety. We talk while we walk, and I always figure that's good enough for most wild beasts. And if a random stoner or whoever happens to be out there, they'll also hear us coming and not get spooked. But right as we start to come out of the trees into the clearing, she catches a glimpse of movement off to the side of the road. She grabs my arm and asks what's that? And I'm like I don't think it's anything, but then I see it too. I'm trying to keep it cool, because I know that if it's an animal just being calm and speaking clearly usually will send them off, but I'm starting to pick up her fear. As I walk closer, I made some kind of comment like there's definitely something, and then I think it might be a person? And she screams it's not a person or something along those lines. I whipped out my cell phone and flipped on the light and it was a chrome mylar balloon somebody had tied to the railing just blowing in the breeze. I don't think I've ever been so scared over an inanimate object in my life. We used our flashlights for the rest of the walk home. We've never gone night walking without a clear sky again. This incident happened at approximately 3 am. On the morning of June 7, 2012. For some reason, I can remember everything like it just happened. This was not a dream or a nightmare. I woke up to the sound of a child laughing. I rolled over to see where the sound was coming from. I saw the boy running back and forth beside my bed. I felt like something had control of my body. I couldn't move. My first instinct was to yell, but when I tried nothing would come out. At this point, I then realized how bright my room was. It wasn't like sunlight, but it was so bright my whole room was light. I looked to my window and that's when I saw the large gray alien out my window. Now what's weird is my window is on the second floor of the house so it must have been able to hold on somehow or levitate. I don't know if it was supposed to let me see it because when we made eye contact it seemed to teleport away. The only way I can describe the teleportation is that it went from a solid being to a static kaleidoscope type image and then vanished. At that point, I was able to move again. I remember going to the window and that's when I saw about six more of the tall alien gray types slipping back into the woods. But it was so bright and at that point, I could tell the light source was coming from directly above my house. I then remember the boy grabbing my hand and pulling me towards my bedroom door. I remember not really being able to fight back. I was in a zombie state of mind. When I reached the top of my stairs just outside my room there was a woman sitting at the top of the steps. For some reason, I didn't feel afraid anymore. 
She wore a pink hooded sweatshirt and gray sweatpants and she told me not to be afraid, that we had met before, and that the boy was ours, but he lived with them, the grays. From there all I remember was the three of us walking out of the house and then everything went blank. I will add, that this is not my only experience with abduction. The reason why I know this really happened is that I remember telling my sister and brother-in-law this story and they both looked at each other in shock. They told me how my brother-in-law's mother, who is my neighbor across the street, woke up randomly one night and said that outside was so bright, brighter than the daylight were her words. It was coming from over my house, but she never went to the window because she was too scared. That was over 10 years ago. I have not seen my hybrid son since. I live in Belvedere, 14 miles away from Flintville, Tennessee. I was in fourth grade in 1976 when the Flintville monster story came out in the Elk Valley Times. It was about the woman who almost got her child snatched by this creature. As a kid, this was really scary because to me that thing could easily walk 14 miles east to our woods. I was scared to go into the woods. In August 1994 my sister and cousin took a drive up our dead-end road when they saw a white creature on two legs walk quickly across the road and started running into the nursery across the road. Not long after my brother was awakened by the dogs barking and saw a huge hairy white shape walk past our glass back door. I mention this because think the white creature in this Kelso, Flintville sighting and my sister's was the same creature. We are only a few miles from the Elk River and I've heard these Bigfoot creatures follow waterways. I was walking my dog last summer because we'd been driving all day and I wanted my husky to get some energy out before we went home. It was summer in Alaska so it's not like it was particularly dark, but midnight here is more like twilight. We weren't going off the main trail that laps around a lake because it was a late and while she was off leash doing her thing, I wanted to be on a clear path just in case. There's quite a few homeless camps tucked in the back of the park but none around the trail so I assume we'll be fine. There's one part of the trail that's a little more claustrophobic if you're a woman walking alone at night so I jog through it to get it over faster. I haven't seen my dog in a while. I don't hear collar jingling or leaves rustling. I assume she lost track of me because I changed my pace. I call out to her. Out of the silence I hear a yelp. I panic, she must be hurt, I assume the worst and I head back toward the small trail to go find my baby. I get 10 feet in and she finally runs up to me, super upset and missing her collar. She's a Malamute, my dudes. I can't get her collar off when I'm trying without pushing piles of fur out of the way. I'm not saying someone messed with my dog, but that collar didn't get caught and fall off on its own. I was at the summit of a local mountain when it hit me. I couldn't get back down before dark and I had no light. After climbing back down to the hiking part of the trail, I began to jog. I was making good time when I went down hard, skinning my knee and shin. I got back up, in some degree of shock, and started again. I finally got to a point in the trail where I realized I would make it out by twilight, so I stopped to give my bloody leg some first aid. 
After washing the injury and treating it with an antiseptic, I got ready to bandage it. On the other side of a row of willows, maybe 10 feet away, I heard and saw a huge mountain lion quietly slithering their way back up the mountain. While I was tending my wound, the area was totally silent. That some bitch must have been watching me for a good five minutes. I can still recall the hair on the back of my neck sticking up and the weird adrenaline taste in my mouth. I haven't hiked without a firearm since. Since I was a child I knew something about this universe and understood it in a way that I could not explain to others. The one who visits me doesn't speak and everything this organism has shown me has made me feel not at odds with mankind. This place is an illusion and it was created in a way by the place they come from. It's done so scientifically and they observe us as energy, frequency, and vibration sort of left to its demise. Time for them is different from what we consider time. When I'm there I've watched half a million years of evolution here and about a year's worth of what we call time. Our universe is held together by these beautiful rods that keep it stable. This alien has explained that everything is a copy of a copy. That their universe was made and they are also watched. I know better than to tell therapists or people what I know I've experienced. At one visit I was able to see how they had created our universe and it reminded me a lot of what we have as the Large Hadron Collider. Unknown to us, and it will remain unknown for many lifetimes, we never die, our energy comes back here is that we will also recognize that we have the knowledge to create the universe. But I never get to know if we just observe as they do. They have watched us evolve over millions of years which to them has been 14 to 17 years as far as I can understand. There are gateways here, on earth, but they are often found and then closed. The area I was shown was South America which had the most prevalent doors. I know I am not separate from anything in this universe and that they have a different time understanding why we act and do the things we do. To them, it's senseless and almost an embarrassment because they know what we are truly capable of doing. As a 42-year-old female, I don't age, and I don't put effort into not aging, I know the two who came for me gave me this gift and I know why. I live my life very carefully and have dedicated my time to quantum physics, astrophysics, and healing for mankind. It's all I'm capable of doing as myself at the moment. I'm not the only one, there are a lot of us. We tend to be tall, and thin and people are attracted to us by our energy. My blood type is O negative and I descended from them when a few passed through the gates and didn't go back. I wish I had more time to explain things and the beauty in all of life, but I don't. Not here, not now. I'm not crazy, I am not traumatized by them or their visits, or my visits. If I could emphasize one thing it would be that right now we are in an interesting place to make changes and see truths we weren't taught to see. Here it's a thousand years at most, they're a day or two. They do not influence us, but more so pity us because we are capable of doing so much more in our moment. We don't have the ability to see what is real, it is kept from us for a small number of individuals' greedy interests. Even those small percentages cannot see through the illusion that they created. I'm only one person here, there I'm everything and everyone so there is no lie to be sold. 
They are not very forthcoming about what or where I get to go once my energy fades elsewhere but I do believe in the next phase they will be with me and guide me as in this one.